With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, July 13th through Friday, July 17th, 2020. It was a week of informational contradiction, contrivance, and chaos. Hackers, hucksters, and hooligans. Coming up in the next hour, we'll be hearing from people with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices, sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation. All part of the verbal stew in which we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, let's get cooking. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. Michael, at number 10, the Nick Cannon controversy tied with Ghislaine Maxwell being denied bail. Viacom CBS fired entertainer Nick Cannon from his improv show Wild and Out for recent anti-Semitic remarks he made on a podcast. But he's keeping his job as host of the Fox competition series, The Masked Singer, following his apology. And Ghislaine Maxwell is facing criminal charges arising from allegations that she facilitated and participated in some of Jeffrey Epstein's alleged sex crimes. These accusations go back for decades. I suppose a number of high-profile figures will have trouble sleeping at night in fear and anticipation of her pointing the finger at them as prosecutors begin applying the pressure for information. At number nine, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health. The 87-year-old Supreme Court justice was discharged from Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore after being treated for a possible infection and is now reported to be doing well. Considering the tedious balance between left and right on the nation's highest court, every time its oldest member and leading liberal has gotten ill recently, the result is high drama and speculation in political circles. At number eight, federal executions tied with Trump's tax return battle. Speaking of the Supreme Court, it cleared the way this week for the first of three federal executions in the past 17 years. As the Trump administration made good on its controversial promise to reverse the moratorium on federal executions. And on the Trump tax situation, although he doesn't have to worry about the Democrats in Congress coming after his returns, he's still subject to being subpoenaed by local Manhattan prosecutors. At number seven, U.S.-China relations. 
Relations between the two superpowers grows increasingly tense as the communist regime in Beijing comes under increasing scrutiny for its dubious role in the origins and spread of the coronavirus. Not to mention its aggressive military actions in the South China Sea, its increasing stranglehold on Hong Kong, its unfair trade practices, its human rights abuses, and its hacking of American cyber intelligence, as well as alleged interference in U.S. elections. At number six this week, Twitter hack and Russia hacks COVID-19 research. Speaking of hacking into intellectual property, it was revealed this week that Russia, as well as China, has been trying to steal information about COVID-19 vaccine research from labs in the U.S., as well as the U.K. and Canada. And adding to the paranoia of life in the digital era, there was a major hack job done on Twitter that has invaded the accounts of such high-profile figures as Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, and even the great Kim Kardashian. At number five, a three-way tie between Mary Trump's book, Jeff Sessions Loses, and Andrew Cuomo's poster. Mary Trump's new book is embarrassing news for the president, while the failure of former Attorney General Jeff Sessions to regain his Alabama U.S. Senate seat in a runoff election for the GOP nomination surely pleased the chief executive. And Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York has come under intense criticism for his release of a complex cartoon poster titled New York Strong, claiming victory over COVID-19 and patting himself on the back in what critics are calling an act of arrogant self-congratulation. At number four, a four-way tie between Black Lives Matter, urban violence, police defunding, and changing the name and logo of the Washington NFL team. The Black Lives Matter continues to spark discussion in the national conversation about a reckoning between the races, with urban violence such as a bloody fight between an angry gang and police officers on New York's Brooklyn Bridge muddying up the waters. Police defunding has become a major campaign issue in the Trump-Biden race, with the president's message being that he'll protect Americans from having their cities overrun by lawless leftist mob violence, which would spread out of control if Biden is elected. And adding to Dan Snyder's name and logo problems are claims that his organization engaged in sexual harassment of some of its female employees. At number three, the presidential race, politics, and Trump's campaign shuffle, as well as the economy. The president demoted his campaign manager and put a new man in charge in response to his slumping poll numbers and disappointing turnout at his recent rally in Tulsa. Meantime, the argument of lives versus livelihood has been reignited by the upturn in COVID-19 cases and the rollback of openings around the nation. At number two, healthcare, masks, and the CDC-HHS switch. There's been lots of discussion about COVID-19 therapies, meds, and potential new vaccines under development. The efficacy of face masks and the mandating thereof by local officials continues to be a highly politicized talking point. The administration's switch of hospital information flow from the CDC to the Department of Health and Human Services has been met with controversy and debate over the issue of transparency. And at number one this week, COVID-19 statistics and projections tied with the debate over school openings. The pandemic is spiking at record-breaking numbers in many states, as is debate over how to handle the ongoing crisis. And the hottest issue in the debate this past week has been growing disagreement over whether or not schools should reopen in the fall, and if so, how to do so safely in a manner that makes both parents and teachers feel secure. 
Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. It was a week in which hacking made the news. Joining us now is the founder of Scamicide.com and professor of law at Bentley University in Boston, one of the nation's leading experts on cybersecurity, Steve Wiseman. Steve, there are two hacking stories in the news this week. Let's start with the first. Biden, Gates, Musk, Obama, Kardashian, Buffett and Bezos were hacked. What's the story? You know, it's interesting because I'm really glad you asked about this because the story is much more than it appears on the surface. You know, the this type of scam itself has been done um, many times before uh, with, uh, with Twitter. And the idea is that uh, there will be accounts that look like it is uh, that of um, Biden, Gates, Musk, and all of those others. And they use these to con people uh, into sending bitcoins. Like, for instance, in this one, the, twi- the tweet from Bill Gates read, Everyone is asking me to give back, and now is the time. You send $1,000, I'll send you back $2,000. So it lures people who are unsuspecting into falling for this scam if they think it is really coming uh, from uh, the real Bill Gates or others. In some instances, they set up accounts, kind of counterfeit accounts that look like those of the people. In other instances, they actually hack into the account, the Twitter accounts, and that's what's what's kind of scary. And generally, when those accounts have been hacked into in the past, they've been hacked into because the people didn't use dual-factor authentication. They've been somehow tricked, generally with a phishing email, to provide their password and uh, their username. So that's fine. But last year, and it was kind of interesting, the Twitter account of uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO, was hacked. And they got into his account and sent out uh, a number of really offensive racist tweets. In this case, Dorsey used dual-factor authentication. So, you know, if uh, if anyone wanted to access his account, including him, a, uh, a text message would be sent to his phone and provide access. So this helps protect you uh, if you are uh, if your username or password uh, have been uh, taken. So in this case. When we're talking about now, what happened the other day is far worse because all of these people, uh, Buffett, Bezos, Bloomberg, all the rest of them, they were using dual-factor authentication. So the question is, well, how could this occur if you can't get into the account without a username, password, and in this case, the secured dual-factor authentication? And the answer is they got in and they hacked these accounts by actually sending phishing emails to employees of Twitter. So they actually hacked Twitter, not the individual accounts. And what's scary about this, what frightens the hell out of me, is this brings up the possibility of things like at Twitter, used by President Trump, someone could hack into Twitter and send something out under Trump's uh, Twitter account, even if Trump is doing everything right. And so in this case, what you're looking at is a real, real dangerous situation where much of social media and people's response to it uh, is at the mercy of sophisticated hackers. Why do they um, tend to say, send money in Bitcoin? What's the what's the reason for that? Totally anonymous. And the thing is, with with Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin was created initially uh, to be able to avoid 
fees and costs that came with international transactions. But then it became a quick, easy way uh, for people to do monetary transactions without actually using banks uh, or using official currency. So there, there is some popularity to it, but it has been a real, real boon to criminals because Bitcoin, and that's just the, the most prominent, but there are in other cryptocurrencies, are totally anonymous. So if someone, if you lure someone into sending you cryptocurrency, a Bitcoin payment, it isn't going into a bank account that is anyway going to be able to be monitored. It is gone, it is anonymous, and we don't wow. know who got it. So this is always a favorite of criminals. There's a story breaking as we're talking about Russia yep. hacking into the research on vaccines for COVID-19, messing with that, futzing with that in the UK, Canada, and the good old USA. What's going on? Well, the interesting thing is this is something that uh, I've been talking about for uh, about three months, and uh, I was kind of surprised that it came out as a news story. And in fact, uh, the FBI was aware uh, that Russia was doing this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus and frankly uh russia's uh, good friend china is also doing this at a large extent uh once the uh, coronavirus pandemic hit uh, both Russia and China have consistently since then been hacking into uh, foreign companies, particularly uh, in the United States uh, and in the U.K., that have been working on a uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine and trying to steal this uh, intellectual property for their own uh, uses. And uh, there's nothing unusual with, with China in particular. China in particular has a long, long history of stealing information, intellectual property from American companies. As a matter of fact, James Comey, when he was the FBI director, and it shows you how long this has been going on, made a wonderful statement once. He said there are two types of companies in the United States. There are those that have been hacked by the Chinese, and there are those that don't know they've been hacked by the Chinese. Hmm. Uh, this is a huge problem. I, I guess I, I'm kind of glad that maybe the public is becoming more aware of it, but so many of these co uh, companies are vulnerable in their cybersecurity, uh, and it, it's the same kind of thing that happened to Twitter. Most of these attacks, you can trace back just about every major company or country data breach and hack to spear phishing emails. An email comes in to someone at the company, and uh, it looks like it's legitimate. It's targeted to them. It specifically has information to make it seem legitimate, and it has a link for them to click on. They click on the link. Boom. They have just downloaded all the malware to, that will allow these uh, foreign uh, countries and criminals to go through the computers uh, of the company or the governmental agency and steal what they want. And no matter how good your 
computer security is at a at any entity and us as people we are always behind by about 30 days the latest what we call zero day defects these are vulnerabilities uh, that are only recently discovered and there aren't any defenses yet against so uh, the story is big news but it shouldn't be because gotcha. it's something that the FBI and myself included have been warning uh, these companies that still don't take enough protection and the healthcare industry in particular is very very vulnerable and one reason why the drug companies might have been more vulnerable is they have a lot of doctors and professionals and others that they're working with who will have certain access to the computers uh, of the uh, of the drug manufacturers and so sometimes they, the hack occurs by hacking these doctors who are working with the pharmaceutical company and then using their privileges to get at the uh, pharmaceutical company itself that's Bentley University and Boston professor of law and founder of the fantastic website scamaside.com Steve Weissman. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 1047 Wonk FM. We are at war with a murderous enemy for control of the planet. Bugs. Some you can see and others you can't bed bugs and other insects, as well as viruses and bacteria. Since 1967, a product known to the medical supplies and hospitality industries has been heavy artillery in the war against bugs, viruses, and bacteria. It's called Sterifab. Beware of scam products in the market making all kinds of promises. Sterifab is the only product registered with the EPA that kills insects and disinfects microbes. Many states require it to be applied prior to the rental of hospital beds and wheelchairs, as well as secondhand mattresses and furniture. You won't find Sterifab at the stores. It's usually sold in bulk for industrial use. But now, you can get Sterifab in convenient gallon or handy pint containers with spray nozzles by going to killsanddisinfects.com. Heck of a product. Killsanddisinfects.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Rap. Two high-profile political figures who dominate New York politics are Governor Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio. Although they're both Democrats, they don't necessarily get along very well. Joining us now to discuss this and more is the morning host and station owner at our Albany, New York affiliate, WGDJ, recent New York State Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Paul Vandenberg. What's the view of New York politics uh, per the COVID-19 situation and its relationship, the state, with New York City from your perspective in the state capital? In Albany, we have a couple of dynamics. Well, we have the big dynamic here is Andrew Cuomo, who will break his arm patting himself on the back for what's taken place with COVID-19. But the truth is, Andrew has put himself in a really bad spin with uh, sending the seniors back into the nursing homes. And it's, he's really had trouble overcoming it. Most, uh, most of the media around the country, including his brother recently, actually are asking him about it, but he tends to avoid it and or blame it on others. Uh, but you can also see in New York where the death count went down dramatically uh, as the, uh, you know, they talk about the curve and flattening the curve. 
So the death count here, as it has around the country, has gone down dramatically. I like the second part of your question a lot, though, Mike, and that is the dynamic between Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, because that is a really interesting dynamic to watch from Albany, where I am. I'm in the state capitol. You know, we see a lot of Cuomo. We don't see a lot of de Blasio, but you watch what he's doing. And he may be the worst mayor in the history of the country, according to people that watch New York City a lot closer than I do. But it is clear that there is no relationship between Albany and Cuomo and New York City and de Blasio. In fact, on my show, a lot of mornings, I talked about how Cuomo spends all his, most of his time, not all of it, but a high percentage, 80 out of 100% in Albany. He doesn't go to New York City. And when you look at bad experiences in New York in the past, whether it be 9-11, which happened here, or plane crashes, the governors at the time, and in multiple instances in the examples I just, I just uh, mentioned, George Pataki was the governor. And Pataki, who, remember, was not endorsed by Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani endorsed Mario Cuomo. Pataki would be in New York from Albany, working with Rudy Giuliani to get through these issues. He would go to New York, be stationed there, and his theory always was, if I'm here, there's no red tape. We can get everything approved and move forward. That always worked. Andrew, though, spends very little time in New York City, and there's angst, obviously, between he and de Blasio. Their staffs clearly don't get along. They don't get along. And Andrew is not, you would think he would have been based in New York City with all the deaths in New York, but he has to bet he stayed in Albany. So the relationship between Albany and New York City here has really never been that good. You know, it's interesting backing up. You mentioned that uh, he's been going around patting himself on the back. I was kind of shocked to see that poster that he had commissioned, New York Tough. I was shocked that he uh, would be such a braggart. Uh, Nothing in there about the thousands of people have died, nothing in there about the nursing homes, and nothing in there really about um, the fact that this thing could come back. um, It just seems very inappropriate. Well, he's an egomaniac. We know that. But he also makes a lot of mistakes. And, And Cuomo is one of these people, he really learned at the feet of the Clintons. No matter what it is, you didn't do anything wrong because he continues to get buried here over sending the elderly back into the nursing homes to die. You are 100% right. Nobody here could even believe that he would put something like that out. In fact, one of the things that Andrew, I mean, Andrew got a lot of favorable press. You're right. If you go back, he was the first one to do the daily press briefing. He looked good. He looked like he, he looked presidential even for a little bit. But then it all started to fall apart around him because he's not a very good communicator. But if you look at that poster, the one thing he does, he always stresses politics is too much. It's all politics. He's the king of politics, this guy. And if you look at that poster that everybody seemed to have been appalled about back here in Albany, he's got a negative depiction of the president in the top right-hand corner. And that's another thing that really annoyed people back here, too. Mike, he, he started off real strong in this whole process with his pressers, as I mentioned, looking good. But it really started to unravel uh, going through the process. And furthermore, one more quick thing here. I hate it when people do this to me, but I've got to do it to you. <laughs> We've still got a lot of businesses back here that aren't open. The gyms aren't open. Casinos aren't open. Uh, the movie theaters aren't open. And this guy won't let these people open. The, they just opened the malls this week. But he won't let people open up up here. He's still using that control to keep business closed. 
That's WGDJ Albany Morning Host Paul Vandenberg. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's head now to one of the nation's COVID-19 hotspots, Phoenix, Arizona. Joining us is the host of our affiliate KFNX's Business Roundtable show, Matt Battaglia. How are you folks dealing with the spike? Well, unfortunately, we've had the reverse of the V-shaped curve where things seem to have gone down and now we're getting hit hard. Right now, Arizona is 128,000 cases and we had a peak just a few days ago of 4,800 cases. So things are now averaging two, 3,000 a day, though I believe it's been a little bit better last couple of days. Is it having an impact on the hospitals? Um, one of the problems with these spikes in, in states that are experiencing them is the ICUs. That, you know, they get jammed up, and that creates a problem not just for people with COVID, but people with other ailments. How are, how are they holding up? So there's been somewhat conflicting reports where it seems like right now they're holding up okay, but they're sort of they're treading on very narrow ground where they're worried that there's going to be a problem. Well, it's certainly something to worry about. Now, I know that Arizona and the Phoenix area especially has enjoyed over the last years, as opposed to just, you know, this year, a tremendous growth in uh, business, uh, real estate, people moving there from California. Uh, The economy has been relatively brisk. How has this affected this, the status of the Phoenix and uh, the rest of Arizona in terms of the economy? So the overall GDP numbers are not out yet for the second quarter, but at one point we were at about 13% unemployment, and this is maybe April, early May. That ticked back a few percent, so we were at 9 or 10%. I suspect, though, maybe we're going back up because I can say this isn't even a data conversation, but there was a number of restaurants that were opened. Now, capacity was 25 to 50 percent. Now, they're- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Closed again. And this is literally within the last four or five days. So July 4th was maybe that tipping point in Arizona, just like Florida or Texas or many other states where... All of a sudden, they were two or three weeks into COVID. Now everybody is rushing towards the ER and the hospitals. So people are now gun-shy again. And I imagine that's going to hurt the economy again. What is the long-term, in your opinion, of course, impact of these bailout packages? We're now talking about another one. We've already gone trillions into uh, the first one. What's this going to do in the long run to the, to the country's uh, economy and to the value of the dollar? Um, I'll give just a quick opinion on that. The value of the dollar will continue to go down. Um, there's a long history of governments that they run up debt, They don't want to control their own purse strings, no matter what they lecture you about. 
and they'll continue to borrow. So what they want to do is they want to keep interest rates low so that they can then pay the interest and some of their own debt. So over the long term, the government usually doesn't get hit as hard as people think because they look at deficits and they say, hey, the government owes all this money. But what they do is they keep the interest real low. And where that ultimately hurts is it hurts savers. So if you're someone who buys bonds, you're hurt because bond rates or treasury bills, which used to be safe and you could get three or four percent, you're lucky if you can get one or two. You can't get any savings out of your bank account, so now you're forced to put your money in the stock market or something. It's a little bit riskier, but it's a little bit of a game because stocks are now inflated. All assets get inflated when you have inflation goes up. So real estate gets inflated, stocks get inflated, and if you sit on cash over the long term, you get hurt. That's Matt Battaglia, host of Business Roundtable on KFNX, our affiliate in Phoenix, Arizona. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. One of the biggest problems people of all political stripes complain about COVID-19 has been the inconsistency of information pertaining to it. Some distorted because of political bias. Some just inconclusive because of the complexities of the illness. And some simply chalked up to incompetence. We're joined now by veteran radio and television talk show host Rob Carson, whose program, What in the World is Going On?, is seen weekly on Newsmax TV. I, I've said from the get-go that I thought this was unprecedented, uh, and I thought it was uh, overkill. Um, I thought that there was no way. I, I, I immediately, when I started hearing numbers and, and seeing things, I, I said it didn't make any sense to me. I, I think we've seen too many zombie movies, uh, too many of these pandemic movies, and I said there's no way in this, uh, in the world right now, that this is going to happen. And then the more I got into the virus and knowing about the virus and who was going to be afflicted by it. And also the fact that I had the the uh, swine flu in 2010 and I got desperately ill and it affected a lot more people. Um, I just thought it was kind of, um, you know, we need to protect those who have comorbidities. We've learned all these things. But I thought shutting down the country makes no sense at all, makes no sense whatsoever. And it, it is going to it is going to create untold damage. Um, I'm witnessing at home because uh, my wife had to work at home for four months. I'm glad she had a job, thankfully. But my daughter missed the second half of her freshman year in high school. My son missed the second half of his sophomore um, uh, year at, at KU, University of Kansas. And, and I just thought it was all nonsense. Now, today we're finding out that there are uh, dozens of testing sites in the state of Florida, hospitals that have been testing people, and they've been saying that 100% of the people who go in to get tested have tested positive. And that flies in the face of the reality, which is anywhere from 3 to 9% people testing positive if they go in to get tested because they think there's something going on. So the numbers in Florida have been fudged dramatically, and we've seen a dramatic rise in the number of cases in Florida because of it, which appear to be a lie. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that. And again, I, yes, there are people dying of it. Um, it is it is scary. I don't want to get it. But uh, this this entire thing is, is I just, I have thought there's something beyond this, and I'm not a conspiracy, a conspiracy person. I'm not an Alex Jones follower. But I, I just think there's something else behind it. And I think there is, a, is a, a reason why people want businesses and schools and everything shut down. And I think it could be and is largely political. That's just my take. So how are you handling this in your own life? Are, are you being very careful or are you cavalier about it and going about your business as if there were no coronavirus uh, pandemic? 
I have another job where I have to go in and work every day. I work between 50 and 60 hours uh, in the public meeting uh, members of the public, and mm -hmm. I have never been afraid of it. Uh, my boss is making me wear a mask. I don't feel like I need to wear a mask. We have about 300 people who work in the building. Uh, only one pe person is tested positive and uh, left work because he tested positive. The rest have been completely fine, even though they work every day with uh, people in the public. Now, we have done some things like uh, we make sure to wash our hands. Uh, and and uh, now in the last week, we're wearing masks. But I've always thought that the this was overblown. And, and, and I knew this because I met people who who literally were administrators at local hospitals and now realize this is not New York. This is in Johnson County, Kansas. And I say, you know, how are you dealing with the coronavirus at St. Luke's East? What coronavirus? It's a joke. Hmm. Really? Really? How many people have you had in the hospital? 13. In the three months since it began, 13 Yes. How many deaths? One. Really tell me about that. Well, they were already in hospice uh, dying of cancer. So I've had a couple people say that, and, and this just has raised suspicions with me, and I've, and I've paid very close attention to it, and, and I stand by it. I think the entire thing was unnecessary. I think we should have protected those who, who had comorbidities, the elderly, certainly uh, people who had, um, uh, and we learned more about this as far as sending kids back to school, send kids back to school. Kids don't die from this, and kids don't transmit it. So uh, I stand by it. I've been right from the beginning, and I have not been proven wrong on anything I've said about it so far. That's Rob Carson, host of the weekly Newsmax TV program, What in the World is Going On? We subsequently learned that the numbers to which Rob referred concerning reports of 100% positive results in Florida were not the results of fudging, lying, or politically motivated, but rather a mistake. It seems a number of private labs were recruited into the testing process and did not follow the instructions properly. Instead of sending back all the reports of negatives and positives, they only sent back the positives, which gave the impression, the false impression, that 100% of the tests were positive. When the correction was made, it went back to the high single digits, which is what was expected. Coming up next, a conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement with one of the leading African-American voices in Cincinnati radio, Lincoln Ware. Plus, we'll hear from one of the leading physicians in talk radio and a visit with a legend of the classic rock era. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 104.7 Wonk FM. For James Whelan, being diagnosed with a common skin cancer called cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, or CSCC, came as a surprise. James had never thought a little spot on his skin could be serious, but it was. I was looking out for irregular moles, but what I thought was just an infected pimple turned out to be advanced CSCC, and it had already spread deep into my skin and through my shoulder and into my chest. James was among the nearly 75% of Americans not familiar with CSCC. Although often cured when caught in an earlier stage, in some cases, CSCC can progress and become serious. After his diagnosis, James learned the importance of being proactive with the skin health. I had multiple surgeries and other types of treatment, but when the CSCC progressed, I had to work with my team of doctors to figure out my options. 
This summer, know the facts about Advanced CSCC. Visit SkinCancer.org slash facts to learn more. This is sponsored by Regeneron and Sanofi. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. The Black Lives Matter movement continues to play a major role in the national conversation. Joining us is Talkers Heavy 100 member Lincoln Ware of WDBZ, The Buzz, in Cincinnati. So, Lincoln Ware, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had you on the show to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what's your perspective of how it is moving along here we are a couple of weeks later. I think it's moving along pretty pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing some questions on where the money's going and the two different organizations or something like that. I'm hearing those questions start to come up. What's happening with the money and is there anybody uh, accounting for the money? So other than that, I think the movement is going along uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, uh, people are still, you know, when you say Black Lives Matter, you still hear people, all lives matter, all lives matter. Well, if you look back on it, you know, there was 400 years of slavery in America. And during that 400 years of slavery, it was nothing but white lives matter. You know, so when the time comes for us to mention black lives matter, then all of a sudden, then it's back to all lives matter. But all lives didn't matter during the 400 years of slavery that we suffered here in America. So, so you interpret, and um, uh, many people uh, within the black population interpret somebody saying all lives matter as being a slam against black people as opposed to either ignorance or, or just... Yeah, because, you know, all lives have not always mattered, <laughs> you know, so... But until we start saying black lives matter, then it's all lives matter, you know, so... Yeah, I, I look at that as a, you know, one of the uh, Donald Trump moves. It sounds like something Donald Trump would say. Now, what about um, you said before there's questions concerned about the organization from a financial statement, uh, from a financial perspective, the organization of Black Lives Matter versus the movement of it. Are those yeah. questions being asked by African-Americans or by white people? Uh, both. I think they're being asked by both, but uh, what I'm hearing is from mostly African-Americans, uh, you know, questioning the money. Uh, you hear about people donating a million here, a million there, a million there, but you don't see where it's going and what, what are they doing with it. So that's, what's, your, uh, what's your take on that? What is, what is your take on that issue when, when it comes up on your show? Well, my take is that, hey, I think it needs to be looked into. It needs to be looked into. Some type of financial report probably needs to be uh, uh, seen by someone. I guess they're considered a nonprofit organization, I would assume. So uh, we need to see some records, some accountability. Yeah, the last thing that the Black Lives Matter movement needs is corruption in the Black Lives Matter um, organization. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, it always happens. It always happens. Yeah. Let's uh, switch. You look at all the money that was donated uh, to Haiti. And if you look at Haiti now, it's going to look a whole lot different than it did when they had the hurricane. So, Lincoln, switching gears, what's your view of the controversy over the name of the Washington NFL team? Well, most of the Native Americans that I've heard from uh, seem to uh, think the name should be changed. Uh, I see these, uh, uh, somebody said they saw an op ed where. 
They had 10, at least 10 prominent Native Americans saying it was okay to use. It was no problem. I, I never did read that, but I would like to talk to those Native Americans who said that. But I think it's time for a change. I think it's time for a name change. We've got a school here in the Cincinnati area. It's, uh, they're called the Anderson uh, Redskins. And the school board has voted to change their name. So, what do you think, what do you think about the Cleveland Indians? Uh, aside from the fact that you're from Cincinnati and already have an opinion, and um, uh, the Atlanta Braves with the tomahawk chop. Do you think that because uh, they're talking about changing the? I, I haven't heard talk about changing the Braves' name, but I have heard yeah, talk Braves, about changing. You know, I, I could go with the Braves. That's saying, you know, I don't think anything is bad about Brave or Braves. Or anything right. like that. I like Warrior for the name of the uh, Redskins. I think they should go to the uh, uh, Washington Warriors. Mm. Uh, I like that. I mean, I don't think anybody would complain about that. Braves, I'm okay with. But the Indians, uh, not so much. You know, And I don't like the, the uh, logo, Chief Wahoo. I don't like how they portray him in that lo logo for the Cleveland Indians. So I think they, they're due for a change also, yes. That's Lincoln Ware of WDBZ in Cincinnati, The Buzz, discussing race relations in America. A point of clarification. The 400 years that Lincoln Ware was referring to was how long ago slavery began here in the New World. It was 1619. Slavery officially ended on June 19, 1865, a day now commemorated as Juneteenth. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Is there a doctor in the house? There sure is. One of talk media's most respected radio physicians. Nationally syndicated Talkers Heavy 100 host, Dr. Dahlia Wax. So, Doctor, what's your view of the move to bypass the CDC and have the information go directly to the HHS? This is something that that it's uh, there's definitely some pros and cons because much of the information we're using is obviously coming from the CDC. And there's been a lot of debate on how accurate the numbers are. If we didn't have accurate testing and enough testing, how does the CDC know how many people actually died of COVID versus something else? And so there has been definitely a call for us to at least have a checks and balances of somebody else looking at the numbers. However, the pendulum always swings in politics to now it's bypassing the CDC completely and just sending everything to the HHS. So uh, a concern with that is, and especially from a PR standpoint, I don't know if that's the best move by the Trump administration because people are going to be questioning motives, transparency. And so I think the best move is for both entities to get the numbers because we really need some fact-checking, we need some cross-checking, and if hospitals submit their information to both, the CDC and the HHS, we'll be able to see in 24 hours or 48 hours if there is any disparity, and then find where that disparity lies. So it's a good move, but not entirely. As a medical doctor, and you know that I have the highest regard for your credibility and credentials, what are the things Thank going you. on right now in terms of the national conversation about this pandemic that irk you? What are the things that mm -hmm. bother you where you go, oh, gosh, they shouldn't be saying that or doing that? Um, I think we shouldn't be berating or criticizing Fauci to the degree that we're doing. Mind you, a lot of people have criticisms of his, you know, mask uh, um, approach and, and platform and, and other things that have happened throughout the crisis as it unfolded. This is a job I wouldn't, worse, you know, wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And Dr. Fauci, I think, did the best job he could with as little information as he got and being in such a political role. So I really hate to see anybody in the medical 
Field, who tried their hardest with this, even Trump, even, you know, gov- uh, Democratic and Republican governors. I really hate seeing anybody blame somebody in politics for the virus spreading because the virus is a force that man or woman or any of us can, you know, you know, can control where there is criticism is on policies. And, you know, if people are upset because their governor closed their country down, then they need to voice that concern to them. But Dr. Fauci, he played a part, you know, a a role, and it was not an easy job for anybody. and, And it's really hard for me to see him, you know, take the criticism that he's getting. And your opinion of Fauci from what you know about him is that basically he is an expert. You know, he's always called the nation's leading expert um, on the subject. Um, I don't know if he's the leading expert because we don't know everybody and it's a subjective determination. Right. But is he is he somebody that you as a doctor basically would say, oh, Fauci feels that way. That's interesting. That that sounds good. Um, is, is he a credible well, it's, person? It's tough. It's it, that's a good point, and and I and I, I apologize if I interrupted. It, it's a good point because I don't. A lot of us don't really go by what Dr. Fauci says because we understand he's in a political role. Anybody in politics, or you know, being on that on that stage or behind that podium, you know, has to play it safe. And you know, you've always heard the 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 um, the, the, the term. A good sheriff will never be elected twice because a good sheriff can't be political. They have to actually do what needs to be done. A real good doctor or medical expert is not going to be political cor- politically correct, and they're going to say what needs to be said and said, look, guys, we don't know what the heck we're dealing with. We didn't get the right information. We're basically praying as every day goes, and so don't be looking to us for direct answers. Fauci can't say that. So because he has to be very political, a lot of us aren't so much expecting him to be the end all, you know, of all information on on this. But, you know, he's doing as good a job as he can. On your radio show, do you run into political opposition when you're trying to be medically objective? Yes. Yes, I do. You know, when I was talking about some of the studies coming in with hydroxychloroquine, you know, some people were trying to, you know, accuse me of just trying to back up Donald Trump. And I had to tell people that, you know, medicine should not be politicized. That's medical doctor and talker's heavy hundred radio talk show host, Dr. Dahlia Wax, discussing her view of the COVID-19 pandemic. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We've got time to squeeze in a little arts and entertainment. The coronavirus has had a devastating impact on the business of professional sports, theater, and live musical concerts. I caught up with an old friend of mine from the golden age of album rock who spent much of his time in isolation this past few months recording a song at home with his wife and kids titled In These Crazy Times, The Isolation Mix, the legendary John Lodge of the Moody Blues. John, what do you think the pandemic's impact on live performances, music, theater, things of that nature is going to be going forward? You know, I... Uh, I, I absolutely don't know. I, I'm like everyone else, I think, in the world. We're all confused because we're all getting different Im- information from everywhere. And uh, I'm very confused. But um, the immediate thing for me that I could see could be happening is, you know, you see the old uh, West uh, movies, not the Western, but movies of... Uh, uh, contributing when you're in a bar and the band's really bad, they ended up having to put a fence around the band uh, to, to 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 keep them away from the uh, 
keep them away from the, you know, so that the beer bottles came. It didn't hit the band members. Right. But who knows? You know, I put, we have Perspex around our drummer on stage, so the sound from him doesn't go through all the microphones on the front. So perhaps on stage, we're going to end up with Perspex around the, around the band or the artist. Uh, and then then have to socially distance how we sit or stand. Uh, but I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really worrying time, I think, not just for the musicians, but for me, the one thing that's held my generation together and the generation that came after me, you know, I'm, I'm talking about 60s, 70s, 80s, what held us all together was music. It really did live music. And um, without that, I don't know uh, where we're going to be looking, where, where, where the energy and the emotion of uh, the love of life is going to come from. Because yeah, it is, it is, it is a very, very uh, worrisome thing that so much of our culture, our human culture, not just live music, but look at what it's doing to theater. Look at Broadway. Um, yeah. This is very troubling indeed. Well, it, it's stopping it's stopping people's mind expanding. You know, that's what theatre does. You go to a theatre, whatever show you go and see, it doesn't matter what you see. When you come out of that, something's happened to you. Uh, you've either enjoyed the, whatever it is, you know, or you've got involved with the artist, whether it's Hamilton, whether it's Greece, whether it's an Agatha Christie play. It doesn't really matter where it is. It's engaged you and, and taken you on a little journey for those few hours while you're in the theatre. And those few hours in the theatre can last a lifetime. I remember going to see my favourite artist, you know, Buddy Holly and everything. I saw Buddy Holly was 13 years of age and he's still with me today. If I hadn't seen him, that whole experience would have gone, wouldn't have, wouldn't have occurred. And my life would have been less not seeing Buddy Holly, it would have been. And I think that's a scary thing for me, that uh, people lives, people's lives are going to be less, you know. And uh, we might all end up ending up in a Georgia Orwell situation. <laughs> that's John Lodge of the Moody Blues talking about the impact of COVID-19 on live music and theater. Check out his new song and video on YouTube that he recorded at home with his family and a bit of help from Zoom. In these crazy times... The Isolation Mix. And that brings us to the conclusion of the latest installment of our show. This has been the Michael Harrison Wrap, looking back at this past week of Monday, July 13th through Friday, July 17th, 2020. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelattalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. And that does it for this week's installment of The Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Rap is a production of Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.